Hello and welcome to this edition of Johnson's Insights Podcast. Today we'll be speaking with Patrick Fagan, expert on marketing and design psychology and former lead psychologist for Cambridge Analytica. As an experienced psychologist, Patrick will tell us about how intelligent service and product design can draw upon innate evolutionary instincts. He'll also discuss how situations like the coronavirus can have a huge impact on consumer mindsets. Let's get right to it. Thank you very much, Patrick Fagan, for joining us. Uh, just for our listeners, do you want to give us a brief introduction to yourself, Patrick, and what exactly it is that you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Patrick. Sometimes I ask people to call me Pat, though, because research says it makes me more likable uh, to have a short name or a nickname. Uh, so as an applied behavioral scientist, that's the kind of thing I do is take science and academia of psychology uh, and practically apply it. Um, on the academic side, I'm a part-time lecturer. Um, I've published uh, some papers on things from Facebook psychology to facial expressions. Uh, and I have a, a book with Pearson uh, that you can buy, please, called Hooked. Uh, it's about the uh, psychology of comms and how to grab attention and engage people and nudge people. Um, and then on the commercial side, I've been doing consulting experiments research for about 11 years now. Um, I won't go into all the into my CV, but I think probably the most relevant thing uh, or thing that people are most interested in is I was lead psychologist at Cambridge Analytica uh, for eight months until the end. But um, I should caveat that by saying I was mostly in the commercial department, so more selling bottled water than destroying democracies or anything like that. Could you tell us a little bit about what a what your field of research specifically entails now? but also how you got into that field of research. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so now I'm, uh, I guess my field is combining behavioral science with data science. Um, so as more and more behavior uh, goes online, especially because of lockdown and everything else, um, there's a huge amount of data, especially enabled by 5G. Um, and there's a huge potential there to understand why people behave in certain ways. Uh, what types of people do certain things. Um, and then, of course, you know, with all the ethical caveats, how do you influence and nudge behavior and use this data to track it and see if your interventions are working? Um, so I do a lot of things. Um, I understand audiences and psychology of different groups. I help brands refine their brand propositions. So how do you really resonate with people and, and tap into their psychological motives and to, to drive sales? Um, and then I also help with nudges, so optimizing emails, websites, adverts, um, point of sale displays, etc. But I think the real um, niche area is, as I say, combining psychology with technology. Um, and so taking big data sets and, for example, looking for personality groups within that data set and then sending them a nudge, that's going to work best for them. Um, and I've been kind of going into that area for a while because I've always been sitting across these two um, areas. Psychology, obviously, since I've been at university, I've been doing psychology experiments and consulting. And then technology is how I've been executing that through online experiments and, and surveys. Um, and then I went to work at a biometrics company um, where we did facial coding and reaction time testing and eye tracking. Um, so I've always been working in these two areas but then since Cambridge Analytica it's been a natural fit to kind of combine them. Right okay and when you're looking at stuff like you know user data and interaction with technology is that on behalf of major companies like or major tech companies that we might have heard of? 
yes, I can't name any of them because of NDAs and all of that, but one interesting one was for a telecoms brand um, and they have uh, customers app usage data, um, obviously anonymized for, from our point of view, but we could see how uh, apps, app usage like clustered together and, and that seemed to indicate personality. So if somebody uses the Sunday Times app, they'll also use be more likely to use uh, LinkedIn and Evernote and apps like this. And that's probably conscientiousness. Um, and so if you want to send those people a promotion for Pizza Express, um, you put it in really sensible terms, you have very formal language, you talk about the money they could save. Whereas if you have a group of people who are really extroverted, which you know because they use Snapchat and uh, fitness apps and so on, um, then you would advertise the Pizza Express voucher in terms of a good way to hang out with friends and have fun. Um, but yeah, lots of tech companies, most of them, most of the companies are working with uh, not like huge multinationals or anything that are mm -hmm. kind of small to mid-sized, um, but they all have data. Um, and there's also third-party data sets that you can bring in as well. Yeah, I mean, that's it's interesting hearing you talk about because I think that's specifically something that people might not be aware of is how much psychology plays a role in product design and in marketing mm -hmm. today. Um, do you think you'd be able to give us any other kinds of examples of how it's a necessary part of product design? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd like to say wherever there's behavior, I can help as a behavioral scientist. So everything people do uh, is to do with behavior and in some way trying to influence or change behavior. So uh, for product design, um, there's all sorts of psychology insights that go into designing a product, especially digital products, because you want to know who your users are and how, how they'll behave and how they'll respond to certain things. And so you, you'll start with psychological insights. And, and most of these people have, you know, at least read psychology books. A lot of them, these companies have hired behavioral scientists to help with this stuff, um, or they'll consult with them. But at the very least, they'll have read, you know, nudge in books like this, and they'll have an idea of how psychology is important. And so they'll have hypotheses, which they'll bake into the products they're developing. And then they'll also do lots of testing as well um, to see if it's getting the results that they want um, and if it needs tweaking and optimizing. Uh, and this is true both for products and marketing campaigns. Um, and then particularly for products, for digital products, they just do constant uh, iterations of split testing where they have psychological hypotheses like, oh, if you move the call to action to the top left, then you'll get more sales um, because people will notice it more. Um, so they have all these psychological hypotheses which they're constantly testing. So all, uh, especially online products uh, are being subject to behavioral science constantly. What are some examples of brands that we all know that can demonstrate a really solid consideration of consumer psychology, would you say? On the, on the marketing side, um, your, your classic kind of Coca-Cola and McDonald's are obviously the, the gold standard in terms of understanding how to grab attention and be remembered and nudge behavior. Could you, uh, could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, so they're very good at grabbing attention um, through their, their uh, branding assets. So for example, Coca-Cola, they used to have um, those polar bears which are very cute and, and something that you'd instantly pay attention to and, and remember 
um, but they are very consistent in their assets. So you see red and you know straight away it's Coca-Cola and they're very, um, they seem to have a very smart understanding of how consumers see the world and how to implant their brand within that perception of the world. So why, for example, does Coca-Cola associate itself with Christmas so much? Uh, because Christmas is associated with socializing and they want people to drink Coke when they socialize. It's associated with feeling good and they want people to think that drinking Coke makes you feel good. Um, and it's associated with the cold as well because it's cold at Christmas um, and you want pe they want people to associate Coca-Cola with cold. Um, and then they have their own kind of quite smart tricks to kind of get remembered. Um, McDonald's have their jingle, obviously. And now every time you hear the, the tune, um, it used to be you'd hear the tune and then you'd hear the words, I'm loving it. But now in the, in the adverts, they just play the tune. And what that does is you have like a Pavlovian response where you automatically in your head think, I'm loving it every time you hear that tune. So McDonald's have got to the point where they just play that, that tune and you think, I love McDonald's, essentially. Um, but yeah, there's a lot more, but basically it's all about how to grab attention and get remembered. And, and they're very good at doing that. It sounds like a lot of it is about building associations with other things that we already recognize as good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's about kind of tapping into existing uh, memory networks, especially if you're like a new product or a new brand, um, which people have never heard of before. You want to kind of hijack what people already know and understand already. Um, fortunately, there are like subconscious archetypes that, that you can hijack quite easily. There, there are symbols that we all understand that the same kind of symbols pop up in stories and myths around the world. Um, so it's so a brands try and uh, hijack those, I think. I was, I was, that's interesting because I was going to ask for, from the perspective of a designer, how much of these considerations should be taken as universal for all humans versus a reflection of the, cu the culture of the relevant yeah. market? Um, so as with most, most things in life, it's quite a complex mix of both. Um, so obviously there are cultural nuances and most of the research which behavioral scientists use is what's known as WEIRD. Uh, it uses WEIRD samples. So WEIRD is an acronym for Western Educated Industrialized Rich Democratic Countries. Um, so there is definitely sample bias in there. Um, however, from what I've seen, these the, the psychological principles tend to apply all across the world, but there are nuances in different cultures. Um, so if you take the authority heuristic, so most people follow authority, um, they do what people in authority tell them to do because uh, they figure they must know what they're talking about. And also it absolves you of responsibility to do what someone in authority has said. Um, but what authority looks like is probably different in some countries than others. So someone in a white lab coat might be authoritative in say the UK, but not in perhaps like Papua New Guinea or something like that. Um, so you need to go and talk to people, your customers, these different groups to understand the nuances. Um, but also within cultures, these things also differ between segments. Um, and that's kind of the work I do. So even in the UK, you might have some people who um, find someone from the WHO in a lab coat to be an authority figure. Whereas you might have another group in the UK who reject that and their authority figure is an Instagram influencer or something. Um, 
so that's what this whole personalized persuasion thing is about. It's about understanding the different segments that exist in the market and the best way to talk to them. So absolutely differences exist. Without naming anyone in particular, what are some common ways that brands and designers fail to capture consumer psychology effectively in their designs? Um, uh, often brands make changes when they shouldn't or don't need to. Um, so they'll change the branding or they'll, they'll change the design. And it's like, uh, it, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, but I think people, you know, they get promoted or they get hired into a new job and they want to make their mark on the world. So they change things. Uh, particularly you see that with branding like Tropicana changed its packaging uh, and they lost, I don't know, it's like 20 million dollars in sales i think in a month uh, in a couple of months because people couldn't recognize it anymore so they didn't buy it uh, when gap changed its branding i had to change it back very quickly um it was a few years ago uh when coca-cola came out with new coke that didn't go very well so um that's one thing uh, a second thing is relying too much on what people say outright uh, and particularly see that in politics with opinion polls, um, they're not really as accurate as, as people seem to assume. Um, and the issue here is there are biases, like some people don't want to tell you the truth. Uh, there's sample biases, like the type of people to f who spend time filling in surveys, maybe they're not really representative of the whole population. Um, but also is the fact that when you're asking people something outright, they're telling you consciously what they think they think, but that might not actually be how they'd respond in a situation or how they'd behave. Um, and so that's why ideally you'd use different techniques to kind of get to true behavior. Uh, measuring actual behavior is ideal. So that's why data science is so great because you can actually see if people bought a product or not. You'd have to ask them if they would. Um, but there are other things as well, like reaction time testing or uh, measuring people's emotional expressions when you show them an advert and so on. Um, and then uh, I think then thirdly, yeah, it just although behavioral science is picking up steam and a lot of people are doing this, I am surprised to see uh, it's not being used to the extent that I thought it would be, especially big companies. Um, so I've talked to people at big tech companies and maybe I wasn't talking to the right department, I don't know, but behavioral science still seems quite foreign to them and not something they're really actively using. They might have one department, but it's quite siloed and not, um, not linked to the whole company. So I think just using behavioral science at all is, is would be a big step forward for, for most companies. Do you think there's difficulties with that, uh, with how relatively new behavioral science is as a discipline? Mm, yeah, I think so. And I mean, behavioral science is psychology, really. It's just by another name to make it sound more scientific. Um, and that I think maybe has some some perceptions of being like fluffy and not very yeah scientific that it still carries over which you know are not totally unfounded and that that fluffy side is still important and useful but i think maybe previously at least it wasn't taken as seriously as it could have been yeah just to build up on something that you said earlier about how brands might lose consumers by changing something recognizable um I'm interested in hearing about how consumer psychology can change itself though. And if consumer psychology changes, whether it might be necessary for brand design to change. Mm -hmm. For example, 
within the context of the coronavirus and quarantine, yeah. presumably the psychology of most consumers in the world has massively changed for a period of four, five, six months at a time. Yeah. How can design adapt to that? Yeah, so lockdown obviously is changing behaviours and even how people think and being indoors all the time, probably not great for your cognition. Um, there's studies showing that it, it makes it harder to concentrate and things. Um, and even there's something called the behavioural immune system. Uh, basically, thinking about disease and contagion uh, makes people behave in certain ways, makes them behave differently. So makes them more like socially conservative and more risk averse, um, more kind of prejudiced as well. Um, so yeah, absolutely, it's changing behaviors. Technology as well, I'm reading a book called The Shallows at the minute, what the internet is doing to our brains. Um, and that absolutely is, is changing how people think and, and how they behave, people much more kind of impulsive. There's a study that shows that the more people use their smartphone, the less they think, basically, <laughs> the less they think things through rationally and, and carefully. Um, so yeah, huge changes. Um, how to adapt to that is just to keep continually researching your audience um, and making sure you're staying abreast of these, these changes. Uh, some things you know, are probably fairly fixed. We, we all need to eat. We all pay attention to faces. We all, uh, we all want to be loved and have social status and, and, and be creative and so on. So certain things are fixed, but um, there are nuances that need to be kept ahead of. Uh, as things change yeah and the the answer I think is just to keep doing research yeah um I'd like to talk about Cambridge Analytica a bit if that's okay with you please could you just tell me a little bit about what you did first of all when you were there yeah I was the lead psychologist there I was um, a contractor uh, I was there three days a week but I, I'm not going to make out like I was a big cheese or anything but I was the lead psychologist for a while um, and so what I did was there were two camps, uh, sorry, three camps to what I did. Uh, the first was understanding audiences. So when you're looking at um, potential buyers of a product or yes, potential voters say, um, and splitting them into segments, uh, what are the questions you want to ask to understand their psychology? Um, so what, for example, personality questions should we be asking? What's pertinent to this product? Um, and what do we think is likely to vary and how do we measure that? So if it's a, if it's a financial services brand, you might want to measure consideration of future consequences because you want to see how much people are thinking about the future, whether that means planning and saving money or putting money in a pension or whatever it is. So that was the first thing is thinking about these different psychological things and coming up with hypotheses. The second was, um, once we actually have these segments and these audience groups, uh, picking apart the psychology of them based on the data we have. So if you see that they're higher in, uh, they're more likely to visit art museums and they read more books, then as a psychologist, I can look at that and say there's some psychological principles key to that group. So they're quite um, open to experience. You know, they like to read and they like to, to experience new intellectual things. Um, but then crucially, how do you actually, you know, so what, how do you use that for messaging to try and get people to buy your product? Um, so how do you turn that into the right language to use, the right aesthetics, um, the right um, tone of voice? How do you, how do you nudge them? Uh, is this group more likely to be influenced by popularity and they'll buy what everyone else is buying? 
or should you nudge them with scarcity and say it's really exclusive and rare? Um, so that's the second thing was actually interpreting the data and executing it practically. And then the third thing was like R&D. So looking for new ways to measure psychological processes. Uh, this is the type of stuff I was talking about before, like facial coding, implicit testing, uh, using images to, to measure psychology. Uh, these are things we were looking at. And also bringing in new data sets, like looking at Twitter feeds and uh, emojis, and can we use that to understand audiences and um, uh, Netflix data as well. Can you look at a household's, the type of shows they watch and how often they watch them and and use that to uh, to understand psychology and personality? Because there, there's an open source Netflix data set. And yeah. how accurate would you say that the consumer profiles you're able to build from that were? Uh, yeah, that's the question. Um, that's the big question. So there's so many variables that go into that. There's, um, first of all, are you measuring the right things? Are you measuring them the right way? How good's your sample? And then, so that's the research side. And then there's the data side. So how good's the data modeling? Um, how predictive is it? And then the third thing is the execution is, okay, we have these segments, but can we actually effectively reach them on Facebook? Uh, and are we sending the right messages? So all the aesthetics and stuff. So there's lots of noise. Um, long story short, how effective is it? Uh, or how accurate? Yes, it's effective and there's evidence that it works. Um, there's even an academic paper showing that it can increase conversion rate by, uh, I think it was like, 50% which is great um, but it's not like a it's not the amazing tool like the world changing tool that it's been made out to be um, not yet at least because um, there's a lot that can kind of get lost in the noise of translation um, but how accurate is it kind of depends on the project and all of those variables that go into it um, but on the whole it does work and um, keeping that in mind how reflective do you think that is of practices in product design and marketing psychology today? As in, is that the kind of behavior that product designers and marketing psychologists should be taking up in order to better understand their consumers as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah, it's kind of a no brainer that you should be understanding your customers better and, and better delivering what they want and speaking to them in the right language. Um, there's also, I think, like a diversity angle here because you can speak to different groups in a more tailored and um, appropriate way. Um, so obviously there are you know, ethical concerns, people worried about being manipulated, but I think there's also a great opportunity um, to basically have empathy uh, or um, kind of emotional intelligence, but at scale. So talking to people in a language that they prefer and telling them things that they'd rather hear. Um, and that are more appropriate for them, um, which is great for customers, but it's great for businesses as well. So absolutely, I think they should be doing it. As somebody who's well-versed in the tenets of marketing psychology, how immune would you say you are to these kinds of psychology tricks? Mm, yeah, probably not at all. Uh, so the analogy that I use is, it's like an optical illusion. Uh, you know, if you see that thing with the two lines and the arrows on the end and on one of the lines, the arrows are pointing out and the other one they're pointing in. Um, anyway, it's an optical illusion and the lines are both the same length, but one of them looks longer than the other. 
But even though you know it's an optical illusion, you can't unsee that. The lines still look different length. And it's the same with these nudges and biases. Even though you know about them, you can't help but be influenced by them because they're hardwired emotional things. Um, so for example, I know that Apple, I'm pretty sure they don't make enough units to meet demand when they make a new handset. And what that does is more people want to buy it than is available. So that makes it scarce. So all these shops sell out um, and they have these signs up saying we don't have any Apple iPhones in store, in stock. And that uses scarcity and makes it more valuable. And then they also show people queuing up to buy the latest one. And that's social proof. If everyone else is buying it, it must be good. So I know that these nudges are being used and yet I still really want the latest iPhone. So I know what's happening, but I still fall for it. Uh, so, and then there's research as well showing that even if you tell people about these biases and there's a study where they told people what a bias was and they said, we're going to use it on you. So don't fall for it. Uh, they still fell for it. So I, I think there's some things you can do, but generally speaking, none of us is really immune. And that was sort of coming on to my last question, which was how, if anything, there is there anything that we can do to protect ourselves from that from marketing psychology is there any way in which consumer psychology is flexible enough to overcome it yeah i think so i hope so it's about um critical thinking skills because there's two decision making styles there's heuristic where you just go with your gut and you don't think things through and that's where you're quite vulnerable to be influenced by things um and then there's um kind of the more rational considered style where you do think things through and you can make more conscious um, decisions that may be better. But the thing is, the rational decision-making requires a lot of effort. It takes a lot of energy to think things through carefully and time as well. So the key is, how do you remove energy and time from kind of more pointless pursuits or distractions? How do you stop being distracted? And how do you better harness that cognitive energy to make better decisions? Um, so uh, silly example, but Steve Jobs apparently used to wear the same outfit every day because then he wouldn't have to decide what to wear because that was a decision that would give him decision fatigue and, and use up some of his energy. So he wanted to save his brain power for the most important things. So if we can remove these kind of more less important decisions and also distractions like TV, social media, um, drugs and alcohol as well. There are these kind of things that distract people and, and lower their critical thinking. Um, so if, uh, I think the way to make people make better, more conscious decisions is to kind of remove or lessen at least these things that are uh, distracting them. All right, amazing, Patrick. Thank you. I've all we've got time for today, but thank you so much for joining us. Mm -hmm. It was really interesting talking to you. My pleasure. Had a nice time too. Absolutely. Yeah, in the meantime, hopefully we'll see you again soon and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, you too. Thanks for listening. As we discussed design psychology with Patrick Fagan, I hope you learned something from his insights and you gained some valuable information for your own design projects in the future. See you next time on Johnson's Insights Podcast.